It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we talk about a sports topic of local interest, one or two or three or four or five. Uh, maybe a national sports topic or two. We've got a gambling segment, and we got the, my favorite segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Twitter the Twitterverse and hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending, and it's not brought to you by Candied Yams. You like a good candied yam on Thanksgiving, Rick? No, I'm not much of a candied yam guy. I never really make it that far. Yeah, I don't either. How about the, how about the little marshmallow? Uh, what, what's it called? I can't even think. Maybe potpourri. Sweet is potato. What it's called? Yeah, Salad yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that is. yeah, yeah. I don't like that either. I don't really. I, I've actually had it before, and it's fine. I just don't really need it. I've got no, plenty of a, other starches on my plate already. Ex- exactly. I was going to say this is the start. As much as turkey's the centerpiece of today, it's it's it is literally National Starch Day. For goodness sakes. I mean, do you want to get into the – we've got Ask Any Anything Thanksgiving questions on here. We get to at the end of the show probably. Yeah, 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 we'll we, do that. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll do Cause that. Because there's, there's things to break down. There's been a lot of talk going around locally about yes. Thanksgiving side dishes and whatnot. Yes. We'll have to yes. dive into that. But All right, we will do that at the we'll, end of this podcast. Let's do some sports conversation first, All right, shall let's we? do it. Let's do it. Back on September 26th, the Bengals went up to Heinz Field and controlled the game from start to finish in a 24-10 win over the Steelers. Joe Burrow hooked up with Jamar Chase for two TDs and Tyler Boyd for a third, while Cincinnati's defense picked off Big Ben twice. The rematch is this Sunday, 1 p.m. at Paul Brown Stadium in a game that can be seen on Local 12. Skinny, do you think the first meeting between these teams was a fluke, or do you think the Bengals can repeat that performance? I don't think it was a fluke, but we have to remember a couple of important things. There was a certain guy on defense who did not play for Pittsburgh that day, T.J. Watt. Um, is he was playing certain, in this game? He's supposed to be playing in this game. We'll see. Um, there was a certain receiver that didn't play in that first game, Deontay Johnson. So th- those are two difference makers, one on each side of the football. And you're silly if you don't recognize that fact. But at the same time, I didn't think the Bengals played great, and they still walked away with an easy two-touchdown victory. And so, I, I, listen, I've been down on Pittsburgh all year. Maybe that's a shame on me. I don't think their roster is great. I do think Mike Tomlin is great, and I think that's the reason the record is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, 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 if they repeat the performance, I think they win. I think they'll, I think they've got a chance to play a better game, to be honest with you. I think they will. That's the thing about that first game up there is it wasn't a lights out performance by the Bengals, even though they did dominate the game in pretty much every aspect. I, I think they can definitely play better than they did in that first matchup. Do you think there's something specific matchup wise that works out for the Bengals against the Steelers. In other words, is there something that the Steelers don't do or maybe something schematically that they do defensively that just fits what the Bengals are trying to do? No, I think the first time around, they certainly decided to play man against Jamar Chase and teams have started to learn their lesson pretty quickly. And actually Mike Tomlin kind of addressed that a little bit this week. Um, So I I do think that they will change that portion of the program. But I, I think you saw, and we talked about this Sunday night, I think you saw the evolution of the Bengals' offense on Sunday, which is get Joe Burrow under center more, get Joe Mixon running downhill more, keep with the run game, stay with the run game, take what the defense gives you in the passing game. Listen, they're they're probably going to get some shots against Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh does blitz, but I'm going to guess they'll probably try to do a little bit more what what the the Chargers did and what they didn't do the first time, rush four, drop seven, and make Joe Burrow check it down, throw short, and try to beat you with drives. And I think the Bengals – 
showed on Sunday they're more than capable of doing that. You know, it wasn't, you know, Sunday wasn't sexy, right? It, it, did, it wasn't eye-popping. And the defense certainly set up a, a, a score in that game, and you had a guy making a bunch of field goals. But they've scored over 30 points, Rick, in four of the last five games. And truth be told, just turn around the pick six against Cleveland, and that's 23 points right there. That game changes a, a ton, probably. So you know, if if you're if you're looking for this offense to put up 500 yards, you're not you're not looking for the right offense. If you're looking for an offense that's, I think, consistently able to score 30, I think you got that offense because you got every answer to to defensive questions you want. You want to play us, man? All right, we got number one. You want to play a zone? We got Tyler Boyd getting in, in seams. We got T. Higgins getting in seams. You want to get in deeper zone and you want to put five in the box or six in the box and and and, and play coverage otherwise? We're going to run number 28 at you. I think they got a lot of answers offensively right now. I think the only thing that really concerns me with regards to that is just how inconsistent we've already seen them be this year. And it doesn't really seem to be all that dependent on who they're playing against or the level of competition that they're facing. It seems to be that they're usually battling themselves yes. from week yeah. to week. We, and, yeah, we and start so, with turnovers mostly. Yeah, well, turnovers or just not being able to get on track, having the slow starts in the first half, getting behind the, the chains on first and second down, the, the stuff we've talked about all year. That That's the only thing that when I when I look at this matchup and I think, yeah, I don't see why the Bengals can't do this again other than they have just not proven to be a consistent team so far this year. And, and, and it doesn't seem to matter all that much who they're playing against. No, but I mean, and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with it at all. But but I mean, this year, based on everybody's record, who has been consistent? Well, that's the, the that's true. That's the <laughs> NFL, right? Uh, you know, I mean, I'll just run down the, the last handful of Steelers games uh, at the Browns. They win 15 to 10. Against the Bears, they they at home they they have to survive twenty nine twenty seven. They tie the Lions, which is just awful, and then they go lose a shootout 47-31-37 The Chargers. So defensive game Browns, offensive game Bears, defensive game Lions, and yes, I know it wasn't Ben and it was Mason Rudolph, but still, and then offensive shootout Chargers. So what is this the Pittsburgh that plays great defense? Is this the Pittsburgh that plays great? I mean, what 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 Pittsburgh team is this too? So the inconsistencies are on the other side of the ball as well. Or the other when Pittsburgh has it and doesn't have it. Well, and they've probably been even more inconsistent than the Bengals, to your point, because you're right. You, they they have no semblance of consistency in terms of what type of team they are from game right. to game. So that's a fair point. Is there anything else to you that stands out as, as key? about this matchup or anything that you picked up during this week while talking to the team that, that stood out? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the biggest part is I, I think they've got a little swagger back and a little belief back. And I think that belief really did waver at the bye. And I think they talked tough coming out of the bye of everything's in front of us and we needed the reset. And that sounds great unless you stub your toe. They didn't. They went on the road and they won I don't want to say comfortably, but they, they did what good teams do. Good teams finish games. And they finished. Outscored them 16 to nothing after it was 16-13 and became a football. That's what good teams do. And I think they the way they finished that game, I think they got a lot of confidence out of that. Um, not just the win, but the way they won it, the way they finished it, um, the way they were able to run the football. Uh, so I, that, that's my takeaway is I think this team has real belief now that, all right, you know, that, that we needed that win. We're back on track. Um, you know, we, we got now five of the next six at home. You, you, you literally do have everything in front of you that you have no excuses now, barring catastrophic injury for not making a playoff run. No excuses. Now, if the Bengals do win this game, it's puts them at seven and four. They're currently the fifth seed in the AFC playoff picture. It would knock the Steelers down to five, five and one. 
again, not to get too dramatic because there's still a lot of football to be played, but this win would go a long way towards putting this team in the playoffs. Uh, I agree. Now, now here's the other thing this win does, and, and I'm jumping way over my skis at the moment. Uh, Tennessee has to play at New England. And the way Tennessee is playing right now and the way that they're all banged up, let's just presume for argument's sake a loss, which makes Tennessee 8-4. and four. If the Chiefs win this weekend at best, they're 8-4. and four. If the Chargers win this week, they're 7-4. and four. If the Ravens win this week, they're 8-3. and three. They'd be the only three-loss team in the AFC. The Bengals will be one game out of potentially being the one seed when all is said and done. I mean, this thing has a chance to really shake out in a most bizarre way that they not only you know make a run at the playoffs, but make a run at the one seed. A lot to play for on Sunday. Yes, I mean, it's just, it's, we've lot. been talking about the big games for this team, but this is how it goes, especially with the parity in the NFL right now. The, the more games you continue to win and the longer the season goes and you're still in the hunt, things get a lot more fun. And that's where the Bengals are at right now. And it is a lot better than where they've been the last few years. Yep. No question. All right. From NFL to college football, the undefeated University of Cincinnati football team moved up to number four in the college football playoff ranking that was released on Tuesday night. Ohio State moved up two spots to number two. Georgia remained number one and Alabama fell a spot to number three. Skinny are the Bearcats now guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff, assuming they went out. Yes, absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind if they went out that they're in the college football playoff. And, and all you have to do is look at the teams behind them at the moment. Michigan is, is sitting at number five. Well, who do they play this week? Ohio State, right? So that's basically an elimination game for one of those two teams. And I think I think you'll agree with me. Ohio State wins the game. So bye-bye, Michigan. Below Michigan is Notre Dame. You got the head. You got you got the you got to drop the mic on that one. You, you won by by double digit points at Notre Dame. Behind them, the only maybe scary team a little bit is Oklahoma State if it runs the table. But I think what the committee has shown us from day one of these rankings is they don't believe much in the Big Twelve. Remember undefeated Oklahoma where they were in the initial ranking? They were way down in the pecking order. So I can't see any scenario where Oklahoma State suddenly does enough to leapfrog a UC. And oh by the way. We've always been presuming the Alabama over Georgia win for whatever presumptive reasons we believe. I don't presume that anymore. I think Georgia kicks their ass. I think when it's all said and done, here's going to be your four teams in the college football playoff, Rick. Georgia one, Ohio State two, UC three, Notre Dame four. Wow. So you think, assuming, let's say Alabama plays a tight game against Georgia but loses. Nope, won't matter. Do you think Two they're losses. definitely out? I do. I do. Because they haven't done enough otherwise. A two-point win over Florida, touchdown win over. And I like Arkansas. I think Arkansas is good. But hey, you want to talk about you know winning without style points? You know, the, remember the, the 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 bet your wife or your soon-to-be wife, your fiance won the 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 parlay bet. She had to sweat Tennessee in the fourth quarter against Alabama in a major way. Yeah. Now, granted, they did win by like twenty-eight points, but they it did, came but down it to the fourth score. quarter. Yeah, right, I mean, it was a close right. game up until that point. I guess had we not just seen the week that played out where Alabama had another tight one. They dropped them, moved Ohio state up to number two. I don't know that I would agree with you. So certainly uh, because I think there would have been a chance that they would have put Alabama in with two losses. If the second loss is a very close loss to Georgia, if they had stayed at number two, and I think the committee yeah. just said, you know what, eh, you guys don't have much more room for error. You got, you got very little wiggle room left Alabama. I'm kind of thinking that, too. That's the sense that I'm getting, too, is that Alabama now has to beat Georgia to get in. And if that happens, then they'll both be in and you'll have two SEC teams, Ohio State and Cincinnati, more than likely. Would you think it's it's more likely that Michigan or Ohio State could get in as a, uh, a no. potential? Nope. 
Nope. It's an, Sunday, Saturday is an elimination game there. And so you think it's more likely that a team like Oklahoma State, if they went out, or maybe Oklahoma, if they went out, could get back in. Yeah, and I don't even see Oklahoma doing it, man. I, I you know, I, 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 at that at that point, honestly, a one loss Notre Dame is going to get in. They just are because the one loss for Notre Dame, you can look and go, yeah, Notre Dame's one losses to the team that's number three. They're pretty good. Uh, so I think when you start looking at that from their perspective, you're like, hey, we're pretty good. Our only losses to a team you got in the college football playoff. We should be in too. I, I honestly, I really believe this. Uh, I, I think we're going to end up with Georgia, Ohio State, UC, Notre Dame in that order, and UC and Ohio State in a semifinal game. How about that? I I, I could see the Notre Dame thing. Maybe uh, I'm not sold on that yet. I'm not sold that Notre Dame's going to. Uh, oh, they're going to kill Stanford. They're going to kill Stanford. Yeah, I agree with that because Stanford's terrible. But I, I'm just not. I'm not sold on Notre Dame without that championship game that they're just going to have the resume to get in. I mean, what's a win what's a win over Stanford do to get you out of the 6 hole? But but it goes back I go back to where the rankings are now and I know it's a fluid situation and I go back to the fact that the Big 12 sent a message with the initial rankings of Big 12, we don't like you much. We don't think you're very good. Um and really Oklahoma State to be quite frank, Rick is is at number 7 almost by default because I'm going to give you the teams right below them. Baylor, which they two beat, loss, two loss. Ole Miss two loss and Oklahoma, which has a lot. I mean, those are the teams behind them. So when, when you look at it, it's almost like, yeah, Oklahoma state, we're going to put you there by default. Um, we're, we're just looking to knock the big 12 at this point. Uh, I, I think it was the same way with Oregon. They were just waiting for Oregon. I mean, Oregon went Rick from three to 11. Oh, and I'm I, not telling you they shouldn't have, but that tells me that they were just waiting for the shoe to drop for Oregon. Well, I mean, they should have never had them in the position that they were in. It was so obvious that Oregon was not a college football playoff caliber team, and that was played out in the the betting lines every single week, and including last week's game against Utah, which if you didn't make money off that, you're an idiot. I I mean, the the fact that they were ever in the college football playoff and ahead of UC was an absolute joke. That was the thing that bothered me most about this whole thing. I, I I can understand all the other arguments you made, but putting Oregon in the top three after they had lost to Stanford was just silly. Mm, I'm I'm going to I'm going to agree to disagree on that one just because of the Ohio State win. But but no, they 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 suffered the fate that we thought they were going to suffer, which is they were going to lose to Utah and they lost ugly to Utah. So that's where I go back to when you look at Oklahoma State, you go, yeah, there's seven, and boy, maybe they're scary if they win out. But honestly, they're seven by default. No, that's right. I, I will say UC picked the perfect time. We've talked a lot about getting style points and, and winning these games convincingly, and they they weren't doing it. They weren't able to do it, but fortunately for them, other teams were beating up on each other and falling out, dropping like flies ahead of them. And the, the week where they really needed it and, and they their opportunity really opened up, that's when they came through in the biggest moment against a good SMU team, and, and they, they took them behind the woodshed, and that paid off for them because – they probably would have gotten to four even if they just win that game. But yes, they, yeah, you feel a lot too. you feel a lot more solid about their footing and where the committee sees them right now when you know, like Alabama drops a spot and the Oregon loss and all the things that we've talked about going on around them for UC to step up this week with that opportunity on the line. I think it really solidified themselves and ensured that if they went out, they're good. Yeah, and and that's the scary part now is the win out part. This is this is literally I I kind of equate it now to you you've bought your dream car, you're all happy with yourself, you you take a deep breath and you go, wow, I finally got what I wanted, 
and you take it out of the driveway and you bang it into a telephone pole. Um, that to me is kind of where you're at as a UC fan right now. You got what you want. You're in. It looks like if you went out, you're going to be in. I can almost assure you that that's going to be the case. If you went out, you're going to be in. But you know what? Now it's, oh my God, we got to win out. And it's two tough games to try to do that. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of cool if you're a UC fan, but you're going to be sweating the next two weeks. If UC wasn't bolting for the Big 12 and everyone already knew that, the American Athletic Conference should roll over for them and, and just take a dive in the next two weeks to get to get them in. But since they are going to the Big 12, right. I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. No, I, I there's no question. And so they are going to get a couple of teams' best shots right here coming up. And I just I cannot see them losing to East Carolina. Uh, it's it, it, that that would scare me more than Houston, to be honest with you. I just can't see it happening. They're number three in the league, dude. They're better than you think. This isn't the East Carolina you're thinking of. They're seven and no, four. no, 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 no. It's not points. It's that. That's why I can't see them losing because it's not. It's not a trap game. It's not East Carolina of old where you're just going in there and expecting to to beat up on them. This is like an actual game. These guys yeah. know this is an actual game going in. Right. And, and I will say uh, I was on and I think you were too yesterday with our friend Chad Brendel, who's hosting on on ESPN 1530. And I said, you know, maybe maybe we just need to chalk up. Uh, the, the that that little stretch of games for UC where they didn't play great to just simple boredom, where when they needed to they got the lead and when they just kind of faded away the other teams came back and this past week was a challenge you were playing the best offense in the league an eight and two team a good team a team that you knew was going to challenge you right you knew it and yet you kicked their ass and maybe that's the case with these next two games of ain't no boredom anymore you got two legit foes on your on your schedule that aren't going to slip up on you that you know are legit that have your respect from jump street and maybe that's all this team needed it was the light bulb to go back on of all right challenge time let's go and you know maybe the human nature of just knowing what you played and as much as you can talk about it and try to coach against it and try to talk yourself out of it you just have those moments from human nature against teams like that where you just go yeah this is boring uh, SMU, no, they're not boring. They're good. And if we don't give it our best shot, they're going to beat us. And instead, you gave them your best shot, and it was pretty good. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm with you with East Carolina. This is a better team. But I think that one gets UC's focus from the start. It's not your traditional, like, trap game type situation no, going agreed. into this one. And with all UC has to play for, I, I think this is a very mature group, a focused group that's that's took care of business all year. And like at the end of the day, East Carolina is still giving up 35 points to Navy last week. You know, oh, I mean, right. no, they, they win, yeah. but they're still giving up 35 points to Navy. It's like, I just don't see them holding UC under like 42, 45, somewhere in that number. And I can't imagine them winning that game at that point. And we'll make that prediction here just a little bit in our betting segment. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, one more question on the UC topic. The college football job carousel is cranking pretty fast already. We've never really spent much, if any, time talking about Luke Fickle taking other jobs. You know he's fully focused on the task at hand and and getting them to the college football playoff. But do you think there's any jobs that might intrigue him once this season is done? Yeah, Ohio State, and it's not coming open. So, I mean, I don't. I I just don't. I, I you know, people are wired differently, right? And, and and a lot of times I get it, man. You're chasing a paycheck, and and God love Mel Tucker. I don't know if you saw the contract extension he got from ninety five million. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they decided, hey, um, you know, we're we're tired of you being courted and enough's enough and we're going to pay you. And that doesn't mean he's not going to go because somebody else could pay him more potentially. But I think you see that. I think Luke Fickle's just wired differently for whatever reason. Um, I know the family loves it here. And I think that's a I think that's a it's a bigger deal than I think people want to give it credit for. Um, he's still not 
exactly making paupers change, right? He's still a multimillionaire. Um, so he's still doing quite well in life. And I, you know, I, everybody, I had a couple of people reach out. What about Florida? No, it's, it's not his recruiting. It's not his recruiting forte. It's just not. I mean, potentially Mark Stoops takes that job and Kentucky becomes open. I don't think he takes the Kentucky job. I, I just don't. I think he, I think he likes his situation. If Penn State were to come open, maybe. Um, if Michigan were to come open, maybe. But I don't see any of that. Here's what I don't understand about that or like the Kentucky job for that matter, really probably even the Florida job, is he's going into the Big 12 in this position that he's in with UC, and they might be able to compete right away in the well, Big 12. And, and guess what you're going to be able to do in the Big 12 at, at, at some point financially, too? You're going to be able to, to, to give him a pretty good piece of change raise as time goes on here, too. Yeah, for sure. But I'm just more talking about from like a, how do you view your future and like where's the upside with your job? If you go to the Big Ten, and, and this is how I kind of view the Michigan State situation and them paying $95 million, $9.5 million per year, 95 over 10 years for Mel Tucker, you're paying them all that money to be third? Fifth. I was going to say fifth. Okay. Fifth best. I mean, I'm even looking at like even the other more. side of the thing with Wisconsin's of the world and those. I mean, yeah, you're the fifth best team in the league on a, on a, on a good basis. Yeah. I mean, and you know how much money that's fully guaranteed contract from what I, I, know I understand. Uh, like, that's what it looks like. You know like. how much money you have to pay out if things go south or, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't really understand that kind of investment. And, and they could because, because when you're in their position, listen, Mel Tucker's done a great job at Michigan State, right? In a short period of time. What has he exactly built anywhere else around this country? I mean, built. Not 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 success, but built. He didn't build a Colorado program. Hell, when he left, they fell apart. I sometimes I blame that on the guy who left, right? I mean, you kind of left the kind of skipping for the next job. If I'm Michigan State, this thing could go south and you're gonna be on the hook for some big money. I, I have nothing against him. I think he's done a great either. job there. It's just the simple fact of you're still playing for like third best, even with some upside, like you're not going to be better than Ohio state. You, you know, maybe you can, you can jump Michigan, like maybe seemingly you, maybe. you're kind of in that you're in that neighborhood right now. So, so possibly you can jump Michigan, but there's still, you know, a, a few other teams in this conference that you're going to have to compete with every year. There's no guarantee you're going and to that's be better. What, and that's why I'll be honest with you. I think, I think athletic directors and athletic departments are just absolutely stupid for paying coaches that kind of money. I, I totally, unless you are Alabama, Right. Or Clemson. Like if right. you are one of those teams or Ohio State, if you're one of those teams who are going to win it every year and it is truly worth that type of investment, and you're going to make the college football playoff. I can kind of understand it. But for these teams, like again, for Luke Fickle to take even the Florida job for what to go get for what? Know, right. Brains beat in and be third best in the I'm SEC with you. best. Like, and, and, and that's, and, and that's and why that's even worse. And that's why there hasn't been a lot written or talked about or or bannered about on talk radio about Luke Fickle leaving. There just hasn't been because I think everybody around here realizes what, what what there's not a lot better out there at the moment. Well, and I don't think USC probably wants him all that. Much. I mean, I'm sure they'd have interest, but I don't think he'd be their first choice. And I don't think that move across the country for his family and his recruiting background makes a lot of sense either. So because to me, USC would be one of the best jobs available because Yes, they need to upgrade some things. Yes, they need to get up to speed with the the rest of 2021 in terms of college football. But they're still a traditional powerhouse mm, in a you know conference what, it, that's right for the taking. Yeah, you know what they are? They, you know what they've become in the last 10 to 15 years? Tennessee. USC? 
Yeah, that's a good analogy. I was going to go, and we always do this, the Indiana of college basketball. In this case, the the Indiana of college, college football. football. Well, uh, that's I mean, fine, but here's Indiana the only difference. Th- you know, Indiana still thinks it's a blue blood. I'm sorry you're not. You're yeah, just but he, not. But I, I agree with you USC. There, but, but here's the only difference between both Tennessee and football and Indiana and basketball. They play in really difficult conferences to win. Yes. USC does not. The, no, the Pac-12 point. is wide open, waiting for someone to take over. If they get a big-time coach, if they were able to get Urban Meyer for whatever reason, they will be the class of that conference again we'll very see. quickly. We'll see. If they get the right coach. Now, it's a coach-driven thing. I mean, you're not going to do it without a stud. And it's kind of similar in the the Big 12, the way things are going, especially with Oklahoma and Texas getting out as well. I I think he has that same type of opportunity already at UC, and it's something that he's built and his family gets to stay at home. And the cost of living in Cincinnati is very low for a multimillionaire. So, yeah, it's going to be tough to lure him away. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's switch over to the basketball side of things. We've had some good college basketball action in the last week plus. We'll take a trip around the region, talk about some of the local teams here. I've got a question for each one. Let's start with the good, Skinny. Cincinnati is off to a 5-1 and one start, which includes a 71-51 blowout win over number 14, Illinois, and a pretty close call in a 73-67 loss against number 13, Arkansas, the following night. This was a UC team picked to finish sixth in the AAC this year. What's been the most pleasantly surprising part about UC season so far for you? How quickly they've come together. And it's kind of gone the way we talked about, right? Of, of they don't have a go-to score, and yet they're still winning games. Um, and it's a different guy each night. He's, he's playing a bunch of guys. They play uber hard. And, and I think you're going to see that on an almost every night basis. They defend the daylights out of you. Um, yeah, and I, I think now when you look inside the league, there are two teams, in my opinion, that are clear-cut better than them, but I don't know anybody else that is. I mean, Memphis and Houston, in my opinion, are clear-cut better than them, but I don't know who else is. I think they're the third-best team in the league. They're going to win a bunch of games in that league. They're probably going to lose. I'm going to say, though, again, I'm just I'm, I'm doing this. This is my own opinion. Um, I think they lose to Xavier, so they're going to end up with two non-conference losses is all. Nice win over Illinois. Win a bunch of games in the AAC, and I think they they make a run for an NCAA tournament. Actually, maybe even a a mid level seed in the NCAA tournament, an eight nine ish. Well, they may or may not lose to Xavier, but that game is all of a sudden a whole lot more interesting yeah, it than it was yeah, before it the season started. Yeah, this UC team, I thought there was a chance that they could be really bad. I mean, I wasn't expecting it necessarily, but I, I had no idea what to expect, and I thought the the floor could be really low for this group. And, like they, and, and you know, it's funny that the early part of the Illinois game, you're like, "Yep, okay, this is this is this is right. This, yeah, this is what's going to happen. This is yeah, they're they not going to be able to cupcakes. score. Yeah, yep, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're going to score in the 40s in this game, and it's going to be 71 48. They lose, and okay, you know what? He's he's got a lot a lot to build for. Um, but no, I mean, it was the complete opposite of that. And then to follow it up the next night by taking Arkansas to the wire, two pretty good performances back to back. Yeah, I mean, they had a legit chance to win that Arkansas game. It, it's, the score said 73-67, but two of those were like free throws after the game had already right, ended right. that they brought it back, or one free throw that they brought it back out for, and there was a couple shots in the final, like, you know, 20 seconds. So they, they were right in that game as well. And I, I guess uh, to wrap up that, that thought was, I thought they could have a really low floor and have some major issues, but I think what we've already seen is that they actually have a pretty high floor. I don't know how high their upside is because of their lack of offensive firepower, but they can compete with a lot of teams and the style that they play in the AAC, that'll win a lot of games. Really sound defensively, playing really tough, really consistently hard. I, I think the most pleasant surprise for me would be the guard play. 
Mikey Saunders and David Julius, especially in that Arkansas game, those two guys looked pretty darn good. And I, you know, that was a, a problem for them last year is they just didn't have great guard play at all. David DeJulius was going through a lot of different stuff. And I thought he needed to kind of be the go-to guy. I never knew if Mikey Saunders was really going to be able to cut it as a starter at this level. He's been great so far this season. I mean, he's really taken another step forward. I think they all of a sudden have pretty good guard play. And you pair that up with all the size they have inside, which they're just rotating guys in and out of those four and five spots. They've, they are much more solid and much more dangerous than I would have originally expected. Yeah. I mean, it's a Mick Cronin team, right? That's kind of what this is. And he won a lot of games in the AAC that way. Just play hard, rebound the ball, uh, defend people. And you know, it, 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 the style points aren't going to be great. And it's, you know, you're going to win some games 54 50 because you don't score it because you can't score it, but you're going to win those games 54 50. And so, yeah, I, I think they've got a nice formula. He's done a great job with them. I think it's easier to watch his rock fights, though, those 58 point games under Miller's system because there's still a lot more freedom offensively. It's not so bogged down with, okay, we've got our one guy, our Jaron Cumberland, and we're going to run a bunch. You know, it's not kind of that one on one NBA isolation get him to his spots and let him go stuff like you saw with Mick, where you're really grinding out every possession. I think Wes lets them play a little bit more and has a little more free flowing offense. Cause they're really sharing the ball and, and moving it around. Yeah, no. And, that, and that's the thing. If you're not going to have that go-to score, then, then listen, you are going to have, have games where you got six guys who score between eight and 13 points and that's okay. I, I got no problem with that. Yep. All right, let's go over across town to Xavier, which got a huge win over the, at the time, number 19-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes last week, 71-65. They followed that up with a blowout win against Norfolk State to get to 4-0, but then the wheels fell off Wednesday night in an 82-70 loss to Iowa State in the first game of the NIT tip-off. Skinny, do you think Xavier is closer to the team that beat Ohio State or the team that lost to Iowa State? I'm going to say this, too. I don't know how good Ohio State is either, to be honest with you. It's a nice win, and certainly they were ranked at the time, so that's a good win at the time. Um, I think they're more the team that 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 beat Kent State 73-59. I think they're more that team. I mean— Well, that wasn't a very good team, by the way. That no, uh, they, no, they, was, they needed a late charge no. to win that game. Yes, yes, they did. It was up, up two with about 12 minutes to—or down two with about 12 minutes to go in, in yeah, rally. That, I think that's um, probably the same team that, that just lost to Iowa State, if we're being honest. You know, I, I guess I'll give the, the Iowa State game a pass for no Adam Kunkel coming off the game against Norfolk. Now, do I expect him to score 26 against Iowa State and make eight threes? No. But coming off of that game, he's a big part of your rotation. He, you know, he's a, honestly he was a big part of that Kent State game. I thought he played a ton of minutes in the second half when they were coming back in that game. Um, so I'm going to give them a pass for Iowa State. But he's got to figure out a rotation. I mean, Jerome Hunter just ain't cutting it, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. Well, you know, they're going to get they're going to get Fremantle back at yeah, some that's point, the answer, and maybe man. and maybe and maybe he and Nunji playing together is the answer because Nunji's become a you know he, he's had some really good moments offensively. Um, but yeah, with with no Fremantle and no Kunkel and Jerome Hunter having the shooting woes that he's had. And, and Paul Scruggs, I mean, your best player goes one for 14 and turns it over five times. You may not even beat Norfolk State in a game like that, for goodness sakes. So I'm giving Iowa State a pass just for an all-around bad performance. It was one of those games, we talk about it all the time, where in college basketball you have, you know, it's not a scientific number, but say three games every year where you play way above your level, 
three games every year where you play way below your level. And the rest of the year is kind of who you are who as you a are, team. Right. And that was one of those games where Xavier probably played uh, uh, close to their worst, I would say. Um, now, granted, Zach Freeman being out, this game highlighted it, highlighted how much they miss him. And I do think because of the emergence of Jack Nunge, he scored 24 points in t- 23 minutes, made all eight of his two-point field goal attempts in this game. They do have a front court, you know, here in, in maybe a month from now or a month and a half from now when Fremantle gets back, that will be pretty solid. And you'll have two legitimate scoring threats on the interior to go with your rotation of guards. I, I do think there's still some upside for this team, and they're going to be better here in, in maybe two months compared to where they are now. But, I mean, there are major concerns, and the issue with those concerns are there are a lot of the same concerns that we keep seeing year after year. Yep. And I think that's why everyone has such an issue with what they're seeing from Xavier right now. It's it's annoying, and it's unfun to talk about a college basketball season where every game is the, it's make or break for your head coach's career. But unfortunately, that's just the situation Xavier fans have gotten to at this point with what's, you know, that's what happens when you miss the tournament three years in a row at Xavier and you uh, get off to a questionable start in year four. So to answer the question, I think Xavier is both of the teams we're talking about. They are that team that beat Ohio State. They are a team that can play with anyone in the country. And if that, especially if that, that team like Ohio State has kind of an off night as the Buckeyes did at the Centaur Center, then yeah, Xavier can pull out a big win. The problem is they can also turn around the very next game or two games later and play like they did against Iowa State and be soft with the team that's really pressuring them and jumping passing lanes and making every catch uncomfortable. And they can be weak on the defensive end and they can have mental lapses and they can shoot 13% from three-point range. That's the problem with the Xavier team and that's been the problem with them for a couple of years now. And I don't know if that's going to be fixed. So Yeah, no, I don't either. Uh, it's kind uh, of a waiting uh, uh, game. And to your point of, of the two bigs, I'm with you, but how are you going to defend? Well, I, I actually do think Jack Nungy's length has helped in that regard. Like last year, you were playing Zach Fremantle and Jason Carter in your front court together. You have no length. Both of those guys are struggling to stop anyone in the interior around the basket. Plus, they're not very quick laterally. With Nungy, doing that drop coverage in the ball screen. They're not hard hedging, getting them all the way up, spread out by midcourt. He has the length where he can clog the lane a little bit more in terms of passing lanes and driving lanes. And he's protecting the rim a little bit better. He's had two blocks in each of the last four games. So I do think they are a little bit better defensively on the interior prior to the Iowa state game. They've been really good uh, against in terms of two point field goal percentage defense. So there are some things I think that, that can be worked out. It's, it's a better front court than you had, really at any point in Travis Steele's career so far. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There are some things to sort out there, but I think it's definitely a, a major upgrade when they well, can get Fremantle in the lineup in place of Hunter. And I'm going to tell you, when Fremantle comes back, Hunter gets five minutes a game. I think he probably gets a little bit more than that just because they're kind of thin at that position after him, as you saw last night when they tried to play Ben Stanley a well, little okay, bit more. Well, that, okay, that, that's fine. Then he doesn't get to shoot. Well, and that's a good question. That that might be one of the things that is irking Xavier fans the most right now is last year you had a forward in Jason Carter who was supposed to be kind of a stretch guy. He never became that in his two years at Xavier and opposing defenses just sat in the lane, didn't guard him at all. 
and let him jack away. And Xavier continued to play through him. They'd let him shoot five, six threes in a game and continue to miss. That's exactly what Jerome Hunter is now doing. And we saw it last night. Iowa State had his defender camped out in the middle of the paint, closing out real late on him, giving him wide open looks, and he shoots six of them. You, you, you can't keep taking the shots the defense wants you to take. Exactly. At some point, you have to work a little harder for your shots. Like, I know it's a decent shot for him. I know he's wide open, and I know he was supposed to be a three-point shooter coming in. That's why you brought him in. Unfortunately, he's two for 20. You got to do something else. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, you got to do something else. All right, let's switch over to NKU. The Norse are two and two and have played three games against Division I opponents. Those games have all been decided by a total of four points. They lost to Greensboro 70 to 69 in overtime. They beat Eastern Michigan 74 73 on a shot with seven seconds left. And they lost to Western Illinois 69 67 at the final second just the other night. Last year's freshman of the year in the Horizon League, Marquez Wark, has gotten off to a slow start for NKU. Through the first four games, he's averaging just 6.3 points and shooting only 23% from the field. Skinny, do you think NKU fans should be worried about Marquez Warwick? No, but but, I, but, but I'll ask you this. Has, has, Sam, has Sam Vincent changed his role in that regard? In terms of changing yeah. Warwick's role? Yes. I think there's some of that going on a little bit. There's, you know, the ball doesn't need to be in Marquez's hands all the time. Last year, it was just like throw him or Trayvon Faulkner the ball, let him isolate because we don't really have enough firepower on offense and, and let him go to work. That's not the case this year. They're moving the ball more. There's more guys that can attack. They're not just going to throw it to him and get out of his way. Yeah, and that's what I, I just wonder if that's the adjustment period. And, and, and you know, you got a few other parts that you're needing to adjust to. I, I don't think worried. I mean, you're a couple of possessions away from being four and zero. You're also a possession away from being one and three, with no Division One wins on your on your resume at this point. But um, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that they've played some of these mid level D one games that should be competitive because I think that's going to get you ready for conference play. And you're stepping up obviously uh, tomorrow to play at DePaul. Um, but no, I, I think this was always going to be a work in progress in, in, in the non-con. I don't know how good Western Illinois is. You can probably tell me better than I would. I would know how good they are. Um, I think Eastern Michigan's okay. I think Greensboro is actually pretty good for their level. So I, I think the good part is they've kind of gotten challenged a little bit. It, it's, it's probably good for them when all is said and done. Yeah, I actually think all three of these teams and throw NKU in that mix. So all four of them are really, really close in terms of talent level. And it was funny because Greensboro was this big physical team that beat NKU up on the inside. Eastern Michigan was this smaller team with these kind of street ball guards that just came at you downhill and attacked and didn't really run a lot of stuff, but were making a lot of tough shots off the dribble. And then Western Illinois was kind of a blend of those two. They were like a disciplined, big physical team inside that also had some guards that would just jacket and and make tough shots and and that's how the game has played out and, and actually there's been some overlap there like western illinois actually just lost to eastern michigan 72 68 on wednesday <laughs> there, there you go i mean yeah it's how close it is yeah so i mean these teams are are pretty similar when you look at what what they've done against each other and and the similar competition so i think there's uh the I'm with you that I think these games are actually good for a team like NKU. It's very different than being in Xavier's situation, for instance, where you're worried about building your resume and each loss is, oh, no, what's that do to our resume? In the Horizon League, you got one bid. You don't care about your resume. You're only trying to get better 
for conference play to get a good seed and then win your conference tournament. And games like this, they actually tell you something about yourselves. They actually make you better. They actually expose some of your flaws. NKU winning games, you know, by 17 points over Alice Lloyd or something like that. That's not going to tell us anything or make the team any better. So I, I'm glad they played these games. Would I like to see them pull out some some close wins at the end? And, and would I like to see Marquez work and, and even throw, throw Trayvon Faulkner in there because he's been really quiet the last two games. Yeah, I'd like to see those guys come out of their shells and start playing well again and, and making some big plays down the stretch. But overall, I'm I'm not worried. In fact, it's it's kind of nice to see them in these games and other guys like Sam Vincent and freshman Hubie Pavorius stepping up and making some of the plays while Warwick and Faulkner aren't. Yeah, and I'm kind of interested to see how they play at DePaul. I mean, how, how you know, that, that'll be a good one before con because they, they, they jump into conference play, what, next week, right? For a couple games, they go back out again to, to non-con after that, but they have, what, two conference games next yeah. week, correct? Yeah, they've got Cleveland State and Purdue Fort Wayne on Thursday, Saturday yeah. next week, so. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, DePaul, they, they play them Friday in the Blue Demon Classic. I think coming into the season, I was a little more hopeful that given the fact that DePaul is a team with a new head coach and Tony Stubblefield, a team that's playing a lot of transfers, I was hoping NKU was going to be a little bit more of a finished product, a little ahead of the game, and and maybe have a chance to surprise a team that wasn't quite ready yet. But and given NKU start, they're kind of searching for themselves as well and trying to find the the mix and and how to get everyone on the same track. So I think it's going to be a tough game. DePaul is big and, and athletic inside. So that's been tough for NKU to deal with, but we'll see what happens. All right. One last team to get to here, Kentucky. Since the Duke lost to open the season, the Wildcats have cruised to four easy wins over Robert Morris, Mount St. Mary's, Ohio, and Albany. Skinny, have you learned anything about the Wildcats since that Duke game? Not really. Um, other than I, I did like the Ohio game when when Shibway got the two early fouls, and they're going to have to play some games without him this year. There's going to be some games where he gets in those foul trouble, and how do you respond to that? And I thought they responded well. They stuck around the first half, and then the second half just dominated, especially defensively. Um, no, I mean I, the Albany game was weird because you had to play all your guys a bunch of minutes because uh, Toppin was out. There's two guys that were out. Um, you know, so your bench was really thin. I think, you know, even in a blowout, I think Seville Wheeler played 39 minutes and Keon Brooks played like 38 minutes, maybe. Um, I think Ty Ty Washington played 38 minutes, too. Um, I, I do think you're starting to see a little more confidence from Ty Ty Washington offensively, and maybe that's been the good part of playing these these games is to get him a confidence boost going. But I still, I think it's a good team. I think it's got a lot of good parts. You know, um, I, I want to see when, when, when Toppin comes back again where his role can get fit back in the mix. Keon Brooks had a nice game against Albany. I'm not big on Keon Brooks, but I think that was good for him. Uh, Kellen Grady's kind of been what the doctor was ordered as a shooter. Oh, Davion Mintz, I think, missed the game. He, he got sick. So they, they missed Mintz and Jacob Toppin. So those are two of your main guys in a rotation. Um, so those guys had to play a bunch of big minutes the other night. Um, and, and Shibway's just been, Shibway's been way better. I, I didn't realize what a monster he was on the glass. I just didn't. Yeah, that, that's been the big takeaway from me is, yeah, of course he's going to dominate these lower tier teams, but just the fact that he does not take plays off. No. even against those lower tier teams. It, it, he doesn't get up any less for them. His motor is always running and that's going to work. But to your point about the fouls, it's also going to result in he can't turn it off all the time. I mean, he is going to get himself into some foul trouble just because he plays that aggressively and he plays that hard all the time. 
Yeah, no, and, and that, and you're going to have to learn to play some games. That's why I go back to, I thought the Ohio game was good for them. I thought, um, and maybe good for him of learning, listen, dude, you don't need to chase that rebound down early in the game, 20 feet from the bucket. And and, and I, I thought it was a terrible call, but it is what it is. I mean, the, the call happened. You have to live with it and you have to maybe recognize, is it really worth trying to chase that thing down that far away from the bucket two minutes into the game when you've already got one foul that was maybe questionable? I mean, do you? And so maybe that's a learning thing for him too. But I, I thought that was good for them. But no, as far as learning about this team, nah, not much. The only thing that I'm really interested to see is Kellen Grady seems like he is making a difference. The fact that he's shooting it at a high level and, and spreading the court a little bit, it's lower tier competition. He's not being too prolific. So it, it remains to be seen how much that translates in big games when we've seen them hey, they just can't get the, the lid off the basket in the past. And they're going through those extended droughts where they let teams go on runs. Can he help keep their offense moving and, and give them more space and give some of the big guys and the more athletic drivers more room to operate? So far, I think he is making a difference. But again, it's just it's so hard to tell against teams like Robert Morris and Mount St. Mary's. So Yeah, and here and here's the upcoming schedule. North Florida, Central Michigan, Southern, and at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is awful. They are awful. That being said, the once you get to that Notre Dame game, it's Notre Dame, Ohio State, Louisville. So we will get yeah. to see them play three legit games at least, which will will help. And I again I think they are shooting the ball. And again, addition to Grady, it looks like Ty Ty can actually shoot it enough to keep the defense honest. He's not Wheeler completely can't. allergic to the three-point line, but no, Wheeler can't shoot. So, But I'll tell you what, he can get downhill. For, for a guy who can't shoot and a guy of his size, it is amazing how much he's able to create still. It is. I mean, guy, he sets his teammates up. He can really pass, and uh, he, he has great mid-range game and like runners and floaters and all that. So, uh, no, I think I, I like the makeup of this team so far, but you just got to see them actually get tested because exactly. this is brutal to watch right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right, let's get to our betting segment. Where Skinny, do you realize what happened last week in the betting segment? Or do you have we, any we idea how you did? We didn't win a game. No, I, we we won games, but this was a bad week for you. You went three and eleven. Wow, I hit, I hit. Hang on, I hit Kentucky. I hit the Bengals. Wow, you, you didn't have much. You had yeah, the Kentucky and the Bengals. And whatever the Monday night game was. Oh, that's right. I was Tampa Bay. You're right. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I did have them. Wow, three and eleven. That's that's no that's no bueno. Yeah. All right. So I went seven and seven, which means we are now two games apart. I'm 71, 72, and one. You are 73, 70, and one. So even though I only went 500, huge week for me in the the standings. Man. Thursday right, night. Try to, get, try to get back on the bean, by golly. Yep. Thursday night, 8-20. We've got the Bills as a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at New Orleans. The total is 45 in that game. Yeah, these are two teams that are, are scuffling a bit. Obviously, New Orleans has lost three in a row. Um, you know, Trevor Simeon doesn't look like he's the even interim answer at quarterback. They've had some real issues defensively. Um, but – I, I just think getting back home, and it's not like Buffalo's playing great right now either. I, I'm no, a their surprised offense this, is really struggling. It is. I, I'm just surpri- I'm surprised the spread's this high, to be honest with you. Um, I think New Orleans has a chance to win the game outright, to be quite frank. Um, I'm, I'm going to take them to win this game outright. I'm going to go Saints 27-24. So that's Saints and the, the over. over. Yep. Uh, 
so it's funny you say that because when I was looking at like some of the predictive numbers and stuff that I like to use, they all point to it being like a one or two point game. And most of them seem to think the saints should be favored. I don't understand why this spread is where it's at either. I understand the saints are a little banged up. Both quarterbacks have had some issues and have missed some practice this week. For whatever reason, just because that line is screwing with me so much, I'm going to go the bills. I'm going to assume I don't know something (laughs) here. And I'm going to say the bills win 31, 21 uh, bills in the over for me. Okay. Friday at 3.30, we've got Cincinnati at East Carolina. The Bearcats are a 14-point favorite. The total is 57. Yeah, 14 here. Just because it just this game scares me. Um, I think I think it's a lot of points both ways. Um, I'll just go. I'll go UC 37-30. And you know what? They, they proved that I, I thought SMU was going to score a bunch on UC. And it's not a knock on UC's defense. I just thought their offense was that good. Um Maybe the UC defense, like I said, they needed the challenge of SMU. It, they, 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 you talk about getting getting right quickly. I mean, the fact that they literally shut them out when it was starters v starters um, was pretty impressive because that that, that SMU offense is legit. I mean, they are absolutely legit, and it wasn't like they were dealing with a bunch of injuries. That was a, a real big time performance. Maybe that carries over. It, I hope it does for UC fans' sake. But I'm going to go Bearcats to win it, but I'm going to go 37-30. So uh, East Carolina to cover in the over. I am. I uh, pretty much what you just said about UC's defense is why I'm going the opposite here. I, I think UC did get back on track. And again, all the things I said earlier apply that I think they understand this is a big game. Obviously they know what's in front of them, uh, but they also know this is a good test. They're not getting surprised by East Carolina or anything like that. I'm going to go 35, 17 UC in the under for me Saturday at noon. We've got the big game of the week, Ohio state at Michigan. The Buckeyes are an eight point favorite. The total is 64 and a half. This just seems like psychological warfare, does it not? I mean, the, the Ohio State just has their number. 100%. And, the no, and this number just screams take Michigan. It screams it. Oh. But but the way Ohio State's playing right now, that number can scream it all it wants. But I think Ohio State puts up another big number. Yep. I think Michigan gets the tight sphincter again, and they they just they, they do Michigan things in this game. I'll go Buckeyes 42-24. So Ohio State and the over for me. Yeah, that's just it. This game and this number should not match up with logic. Whatever you're betting on here should not make sense. You should not go off of what the the predictive numbers would say or the stats because listen, or listen, like that. Listen, I, I think, and I think you'll agree. Michigan's a good team. I mean, are they, they are. This is, this is a really, he's got a really good group. Um, they, their only stumble was, was at Michigan state and they actually led that game, you know, by a couple of touchdowns at one point, look, they were going to pull away there and didn't rival game on the road and Michigan state's pretty good too. So I'll just chalk that up to it happens. Um, but it's just this game, man, for them, it's just, it's psychological warfare. This should be a much closer game than it's going to be. And that's how it is every year with these two teams, because you're absolutely right. It's a mental thing and Harbaugh cannot get over that hurdle. I'm going Buckeyes 45 Wolverines 21 OSU in the over for me as well. Saturday, 730. We've got Kentucky. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You missed one. Wait a minute. You miss, you miss love and honor. Not love and love and honor at Kent laying one 65 and a half the total. Who you got? Uh, We'll take Miami. I'm taking them too. I'm going to go Miami because because Kent can't stop it. I'll go Miami 45-38. So give me the Red Hawks in the over. I was hoping I was going to slide one past you there because 
I mean, we just we don't even watch any of their games. I don't. We don't I couldn't tell you what the oh, record I, is. No, no, I've, I've seen one game from them. See, I, I've watched midweek matching of them when they when they've been in midweek match, and I haven't I watched haven't. otherwise. I haven't. All right, we've got Saturday at seven thirty. Oh, are you going to give me a score? No, I I don't know. I haven't thought about it. The win, uh, and cover and uh, under. Well, right, we'll write that down just so yep. I know. Saturday at seven thirty, we've got Kentucky at Louisville. The Cardinals are a three-point favorite. The total is 57. Why is Louisville a favorite in this game? Uh, because they're playing really well right now. And because Kentucky, I think, is, you know, do, do you take the last two weeks and go, they got right? Or do you take the last two weeks and go, it's Vandy? and New- Dude, I went to the New Mexico State game. And that that was one of the worst teams I've ever witnessed. They, they well, were for sure. They were awful. But I mean, I mean just awful. Kentucky, well, literally, Kentucky fumbled twice at the goal line, or they scored seventy points. And that was even. I'll give Mark Stoops credit. He put a bunch of backups in, and they still would have scored seventy. How? I mean, we're saying Louisville's playing so well. How well are they playing? They beat Syracuse and Duke. I'm noting you, and it's right before right, that. It's, it's the same they, thing. You're right. Right before that, they got smacked by NC State and Clemson, who aren't exactly powerhouses. No, I, I'm I'm taking Kentucky. Don't get me wrong here. I'm just I, you asked well, the question I, I why they're favored. I, I well, think some I of it is 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 I the fact of. I'm, I'm noting you home field. Um, I mean, I could. I guess what you're saying is these teams are about equal, and we're going to give Louisville and, and for look, three points, and that's that's about right. That's probably what they did. But I. I think Kentucky offensively has gotten some things right, and and that even goes back to the Tennessee game. I mean, let's not forget they didn't lose the Tennessee game because of offense. They did have a bad. I mean, Will Levis did throw a bad pick six, but they still put up forty two points and ran ninety nine plays on offense. For goodness sake, so um, the offense was fine there. The offense for a half against Vandy was spectacular. Then kind of went into a shell, and then against New Mexico State they rolled up seven hundred yards, and I'm, I'm literally they would have scored seventy points if they don't fumble twice at the goal line. The problem for Kentucky has been. This has been a season-long issue of turnovers. They just have had a hard time with ball security for whatever reason, and, and it's cost them. It cost them the Tennessee game, um, and and it's cost them some points in other games. I think that's the scary part. But I do think they they hang. I think they get in the in the mid to high forties here. I think Louisville will score in the mid to high thirties. But I think the Kentucky defense is good enough to get enough stops. So I'll go Kentucky 49-34. Kentucky in the over. You've got Kentucky by 15. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Oh, so you don't even think this is going to be close. That, that I don't. I don't. Because I think I, I think they'll get enough stops defensively. All right. Well, I'm on the same page as you in terms of the over. I this game seems to always be high scoring every year with these two. Kentucky's won the last two games. They've covered the last two games between these teams. They obviously didn't play last year. I think the Wildcats get three in a row. I'm going to go Kentucky 38, Louisville 34. So Kentucky and the over for me as well. And that switches back over. That switches us back over to the NFL side. We've got the Steelers at the Bengals Sunday at 1 p.m. The Bengals are a five point favorite. The total is 44 and a half. I want to say the Bengals comfortably, but man, that's a that's a big number in this game where it feels like it is going to come down to a last possession. It just does. Um I'm going to go Bengals 27-24, McPherson from 53 at the gun. So that's Bengals and the over there for you. Yes. At 51. Uh, I No, actually, actually, it's Steelers to cover in the over. Oh, Steelers, that's right. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. I think it's going to be a close game as well. Uh, Steelers games are have been ugly this year, but it's hard to predict if it's going to be low scoring, high scoring from week to week. I'm going to go Bengals 21, Steelers 17. So that's Steelers and the under. Sunday at 820, we've got Browns at Ravens. Ravens are a four-point favorite. The total is 46. 
Baker Mayfield is a mess at the moment. And I, and I think a lot of it honestly is physical. I do. I, I you know, I watched uh, one of the NFL shows this week and it was Ross Tucker was breaking down some of his throws in the Detroit game. And he was, he, he was making a point of, he's making a lot of really good decisions. He's making a lot of inaccurate throws. And he showed a couple in particular. And I, I remember watching the one live where he literally overthrew, um, I think it was Jarvis Landy running a, a little deep in route where he overthrew him by about 15 yards and a safety was playing to make sure nobody got over the top of him was able to intercept it because it was such a horrible throw overthrow had a couple others where guys were breaking open and he just made bad throws and I, I don't know if this is going to get right until he gets himself fixed physically yeah they can run the ball and they're going to have to keep running the ball but on the road against the Ravens I don't see them keeping up enough I, I think this is all Ravens all the time I'll go Baltimore 31 13 wow I'm uh actually so that's Ravens and the under there. Yes, correct. Um, I am with you for the most part, not not quite by the same margin, but I think the Ravens controlled this game from the start, and the Browns' offense is just a disaster. So I'm going Ravens and the under. Ravens twenty eight, Browns seventeen. Monday night, eight fifteen p.m. We've got Seahawks at football team. <laughs> I love that football team is a one and a half point favorite. The total is 47 um, football team. I'll tell you what I like Taylor Heineke. I've come to really like him. I think he just, he, he battles. That makes one um, of us. And I got to be honest with you. I think Seattle is horrible. I thought they were horrible when the season started. I, Paul Daner and I have a bet. We have a multi-layered bet for dinner. And one of our, one of the categories we took was you had to take three NFL teams and you could either take their wins or their losses and the 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 most that they got out of the, the you you would total them up. So for me, for example, I took the losses of the Jets, the losses of the Lions, and believe it or not, the losses of the Seahawks. And I'm running away with it because the Seahawks are terrible. They're three and seven. The other two teams I knew were going to be terrible. Those were easy. And he laughed. He goes, Seattle. I said they're terrible. They're awful. And they are. Their lone win. They're, they're they've won one of their last five, and that was a win over the Jaguars. Other than that, they can't score. They scored 17 yeah. against the Rams. They had to go to overtime, lost to the Steelers and scored 20. Scored not or didn't score against Green Bay. Scored 13 against the Cardinals, who started Colt McCoy at quarterback. It wouldn't have mattered because they can't score. They're just a bad offensive team. And that's even now with Russell Wilson back. I, I, listen, if it didn't ha- if it if it wasn't the Seattle Sea, if you didn't see the name and it was just random NFL team three and seven with their resume, I think Washington would be a touchdown favorite. So I'm going to go I'm going to go I'm going to go football team 27-17. Yeah, we're pretty similar on this one. I'm going uh 24-14. So I'm on the under and you are on the under as well at 44. So both of us have football team and the under. That that's the thing for me is like we're talking about the how bad the Browns offense is. The Seahawks are even more of a disaster, I think, on the offensive side. They're, they can't. No, you know, you know, it's it's always been Russ go make us some plays. Well, you know what? Maybe the Russ magic is running out a little bit. I, I don't even think he's the issue. They've got so many problems. They don't have other playmakers around. They don't have an offensive line, which I get you. They they've lacked some of that stuff for a while now, but they still had more than they have right now. And the other thing is their defense was holding up well for a while. It's starting to look old and having issues too. Like I mean. I think the Seahawks need to blow the whole thing up and rebuild. Like, I think I do they're done. I do, too. And one of our other wagers is first coach fired. We each take three coaches, fired or resigned. I took Pete Carroll because I think we're going to get to a point this year where Pete Carroll says, I'm done with this. I've had enough. I had a good time with it. I've got plenty of money. I'm 
almost 70 years old. I'm I, enough for me. I'm not going to go through the rebuild of this. I'm I'm just done. And I'm it, hoping it comes before Matt Nagy gets fired because Paul has has Matt Nagy. So. It it might be the right time for him to call it quits if we're being honest. Yeah, I'm 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 hoping maybe it's after this game. It's the hey, give one more chance here on on national TV. I'm going to get if he gets embarrassed, uh maybe they, he says enough's enough. Yeah, if you get embarrassed by the disgrace that is Daniel Snyder's franchise, then you just right. got to right off gotta the say, That's it. See you later. All right, let's do some Ask Skinny Anything here. This should be uh, interesting since it's a whole lot of nonsense today. There's no sports involved. We'll start off nice and easy. Uh, Skinny, is raking leaves the worst household chore? Absolutely. And I've got to do that tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Absolutely. I hate it. Here's the thing I don't understand about raking leaves. I guess you're worried about your grass dying. Like, What's the big thing if you don't rake the leaves? I think that's it. That's part of it. Because okay, it just I, lays on top. That's the big part of it. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Because like I've yeah. never actually raked my leaves and I've never had patches of grass dying or anything. Now, granted, you know where my other house was uh, when I lived in Erlanger and it was right. too big of a yard to actually rake anything. I mean, you'd just be doing it all day. So yeah. you couldn't actually rake the leaves. But yeah, the I grass just, never I, died there. We let, we let it cover the whole backyard. Yeah, I think it's just it, it, it looks unkept, I guess. That's a weird thing. Like, who cares if you're seeing dirty, muddy grass in the fall and winter or seeing leaves? Well, I, I, it just, it's a thing. I, 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 I hate it. I, I'm with the, I'm with the questioner. I hate it more than anything. I just say, quit raking them or just <laughs> blow them around and sort of like, you know, it's like scatter it around like you do. So it doesn't look, look as messy. And, and, and sadly in our neighborhood, it, it, we, we all have these mature trees and there's leaves everywhere in our neighborhood. I mean, everywhere, dude. Yeah, Everywhere we, we've got a- a- acorns that fall on our deck. I do too. No, see, I, that, that that's is, my that's my that other is issue is the stupid acorns. I I so want a storm to blow my trees over and blow them into the street and be done with it. That's all well, I want. Speaking of that, we built a nice new fence for the dog within the last year, and a storm blew a tree in half and uh, broke our fence. So now yeah, I've got to redo the fence. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a DIY guy, boy. I'm just not. No, me neither. And uh, I'm not really a chore guy. I'm going to say folding clothes is worse than raking leaves. Though. No, I don't even mind. I'm a, I'm a, I like doing laundry. I'm, a, I'm fine with that. I like clean clothes. I am I do too, but I don't want to get into this summertime short pants thing again, but it's not about doing laundry. Everyone likes putting the laundry in, taking it out, smelling and all that stuff. The thing is folding. I don't fold. I'll drape. I'll hang. I'm not a folder. I hate folding. It takes you an extra two no, seconds. I disagree. And it's so pointless because everything you get it out, it's all nice and, and, and unwrinkled, but then you fold it. Just, you put big creases in everything. It's, it's a stupid process that never should have been done. I hang everything. Um, if you could choose any pie for Rick to be able to shove your face in every time he sees you, what would it be? I think this is a weird way to ask you what your favorite pie is. Yeah, it is. But I like, I, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, chocolate cream pie. My grandma, my, my, my mother's, it wasn't her mother, it was her stepmother, but my grandmother on my mother's side used to make the greatest chocolate cream pie for, for, for holidays. I'm not a big pie guy. I'm not either on a regular basis. Um, but at certain times I do, I, well, I, I will say I, I take it back. I, I do like those little box, like hostess pies. I'll, I'll eat the chocolate ones or the lemon ones. I like those. Do you like pumpkin pie? I do. At that Thanksgiving holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I don't make it a uh, uh, a point really any other time of the year to go out of my way to get a pumpkin pie. But yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, do they even have pumpkin pies other times of the year? I only see them during that time of the year. Well, I mean, you can you can 
probably buy them anytime you want. Or you could make them from. That's the other thing is, does anybody really want to make them from scratch? Like really no. dig the pumpkin out or any of that crap? You go to. Does anybody do that? Exactly. No, that's exactly what. There's no. That's not even a debate. Yeah, of course. I didn't right. even think anyone actually made pies. Yeah, no, ag- agreed. I thought it was like a thing Martha Stewart did, and they all watched that and then just went to Frisch's. It probably do. At least that's how it was when I grew up uh, in my household. What is the most overrated holiday of the year, and why is it Thanksgiving? Which I will say I do not endorse this question at all. I think. Um, the most overrated? Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's the sweetest day. Whatever. Who invented that? that? That's a Hallmark invention, is it not? Yeah, that's not even a holiday. Okay. Like, I right. do so, think. Um, does Valentine's Day count? Yeah, I think that is a holiday. Yeah, I'm going to go that. And you know me, I, I told you I'm not big on Halloween either. I have, for most overrated, I actually think it's a, a really easy number one. And Thanksgiving is the exact opposite. Like, what? how could you possibly find fault with Thanksgiving? No, I'm with It's you. a holiday that's built around food, food? first and foremost. Football, food, food, family, drinking, and very little expectations of how you're supposed to dress, act, or hang out with people. Like you're not expected to sit there and talk to family after you eat. Everyone just goes and falls asleep in the other room with exactly. football on. So I disagree that it's overrated. I think very easily New Year's Eve is the most overrated holiday. Um, I kind of give you that. That's not a bad call. It's something where everyone always acts like, oh, you got to have something to do. We're going out for New Year's. It, it never works out. It's never that fun of a night. There's not like it's weird, expensive parties that you got to pay to like reserve your spot if you're going out. Or it's just like kind of a house party that no one knows exactly when they're supposed to leave because you're trying to stay there until midnight and the ball drop. But then it's like, all right, now what do we do? We stay at like 2 a.m. at your friend's house. We're in their 30s, you know, so uh. I don't know. I just think it's a bad holiday. Plus, you got everyone doing like their New Year, New Me, and resolutions and bull crap. I'm not a big New Year's Eve guy. Yeah, I'll give you that one too. It's, it's, it's I, I, that, that's usually pretty sub. It is a, usually a dinner, and midnight comes, you toast it, and you're done. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with that. And, uh, and as you may well know, Rick, I don't need an excuse to drink. So there's that. No, no. Last year, because of COVID. We weren't able to do Christmas with my fiance's family on Christmas. So we did it on New Year's Eve. And that was actually kind of nice. It took out it took out the all decision process of like, what are we doing for New Year's Eve? It's like, yeah, oh, no, we're celebrating Christmas. That's, that's, a, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, another holiday question here. If you could trade the dates of any two holidays, what would they be and why? <laughs> for instance, Christmas to October and Halloween to December. Also, for the purpose of this convo, let's keep New Year's and New Year's Eve static. See, I think I would want to move. First of all, let's just get this out of the way. Who cares? Like, does anyone actually care or celebrate or acknowledge any holidays no. other than like Christmas and Thanksgiving? No, I I, I will say I, I it, it always feels for me calendar wise that once Halloween does come, it's like, boom, I'm right in the middle of basketball. I look up, it's Thanksgiving. I look up, it's Christmas. I look up, it's February. I look up, it's March Madness. I look up and the weather's nice. That's kind of how, literally how it yeah. goes. It feels like the calendar just goes that way for me. That's true. Well, because, I mean, you just go back to back with the football and basketball. Because I feel the same way for like the five months of basketball season, but I don't have the the Bengals football thing on top of it like you do where you're just going every single day. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I just don't uh, uh, like Halloween came and went. I didn't even know what happened. Uh, right. And then, but then you look up and guess what it is? It's Thanksgiving. And as soon as we're done with Thanksgiving, we're going to look up and go, Hey, Christmas is three weeks away. 
Yeah, I just mean for the purpose of trying to figure out what holidays I want to move around. Yeah, the I'm not, it's like I'm not, I don't even notice they really happen for the most part if it's not Thanksgiving or Christmas. I, I would say actually I got one. Um, Labor Day, Labor Day, move it to the first Friday of the NCAA tournament so everyone gets it off. They don't even have to ask for it off. They can just ask for the Thursday yeah, off. I, They'll get two days on a four day weekend. That's the one I was thinking of too. Was Labor Day? I'm kind of with you on that. I don't know if I if I'd move it to that, but I kind of like your idea. Yeah, I think that's. That's what I would do. I would give everybody. I mean, I'm already going to be just watching basketball that day, but I'd give everybody else the day off too because I'm a nice. Yeah, guy. And, and, and I hate the NFL because you know what they've started to do the last few years? They've started free agency right in that first week of the NCAA tournament. It's pissing me oh, off. Oh, those pricks! Yep. All right, we've got one more here that our buddy Dan wanted us to just talk about or break down. It's a tweet from somebody else. I'll do my best with this. The thing is, the tweet's so good. I don't know if there's really anything to add or anything funny to say about it, but we can, I'll read it for you because you haven't seen it yet. So this is from a guy named Chad Holloway, who I just found out is a world series of poker guy. Okay. And he says, goodbye to world series of poker at Rio. Since my first visit in 2009, I estimate I've spent one and a half to two years of my life actually inside these walls. He's talking about the casino that I guess is like closing down or whatever. Yes. And uh, that's wild in itself that he's, spent a year and a half to two years inside a casino. But he goes on to say, it's where I won my bracelet, lost my virginity, met my first wife, and met the woman I'd leave her for before meeting my second wife. So many memories. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot to take in. It's one hell of a tweet. That's how you tweet right there. That's like pouring your soul out in 100. How many characters do we get now? 240 characters? Yeah. Yeah, 280, I think. What, okay, yeah, Double, that, that yeah. is literally pouring your soul out in 280 characters right there. Well, I, it's honestly one of the best I'm a big sex guy flexes we've ever seen. He mentions lost my virginity, met my first wife. That's two. Met the woman I'd leave her for before meeting my second wife. That's two more. That's four sex times he's had. Like, you know, you know what that also is? Big sex guy. Those are the lyrics to a to a to a country song we need to put together. Are you are you serious right now? I, I am serious. That, someone th- someone tweeted us that almost that exact same thing. They said, <laughs> "Man, enough stuff there for three country songs." Oh, he's right. I mean, that dude, that's almost like a lyric into itself. I'm, I'm gonna have to figure this out. I don't write music. I can't write music. But by God, that sounds like the start of a country song. Unbelievable! It's where I won my bracelet, lost my virginity, met my first wife, and met the woman I'd leave her for before meeting my second wife. So many memories. Uh, this and, that, and that's that, and that's that's the, that's the title of the song. So many memories. Ode uh, to Vegas. <laughs> this, the, I mean, only in Vegas, right? Like this, only in this Vegas, nerd yeah. has been rolling around, just living in a casino since 2009, part time, and he's letting it all hang out. I mean, this is just a different world. What do you think the weirdest type of gambler is? Like, if you're in a casino and you go up to a table, which table has the weirdest gamblers? Um, the, I'm going to say blackjack. And I only say that because, because you can easily get annoyed with those around you because they can really affect your, your game. The, the idiot to your right that hits when he shouldn't hit when, when that's the card you would have, you would have needed. Maybe 
that's the that's the guy to me that, that those, those are the people that that, that bug me those I, I know zach taylor last week we brought this up and we were all kind of stunned that he actually gave us the answer he gave us where he said it when he goes to vegas he doesn't even want to go with his wife and go to shows or eat dinner he goes to the craps table for 72 hours and mo egger did ask me so he begged the question of well does he go for 72 straight hours and like not even sleep he said he doesn't eat so, I mean, the, the thing, though, and I'm not a craps guy. I don't know if you are, Rick, um, but it always seems like the, the craps table usually is a pretty jovial group together because you're yeah. all in it kind of together. So right. it's kind of a, a communal game. To me, I think it's the it is the it is the, the I guess the, the poker marathon guy, because there are people he probably is. If he really added up, he probably has spent a full year of his life in, in, a, in, a, in a casino um, in, a, in a 13 year span. If you just add up all the minutes, because some of those sessions go forever. Um well, no, and these go. guys that are doing the World Series of Poker, I mean, they'll probably just move in there for a month at a time right, and, right. you know, be eating dinner there and living there for a while. So, yeah, I bet he's well, clearly he's done a whole lot in that place, but uh, an unbelievable tweet. I mean, truly just let it all that, that, that is fabulous. No, I, yeah, it is. I, a, it is it's a country song. I think roulette so and many memories roulette and craps are probably the two most normal gamblers in a casino. I think blackjack probably is the worst poker gets a little weirder because they're more invested, but they're also probably of higher intelligence. If they play poker, blackjack is like the dumbest and lowest common denominators and weirdos. Yeah. And I like blackjack. Don't get me wrong. That's probably the the casino game. I would play the most if if I, if I went that often. Yeah. But for instance, you might end up because I love sitting next to you. I love blackjack table. So that's that's kind of my whole point. And you may look and go, what did you just, why did you just take a hit there? Why did, how come you're not doubling down? Don't, don't buy the insurance, you moron. Split them. Split them. Split them. <laughs> all right. That's all we got. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks everybody for listening. Skinny, I hope you have a great holiday weekend, man. You do the same, man. It's, it's going to be football, food, and fun. There's no question about that. And some basketball as well. We got some hoops to yeah, We'll to, see to, if DePaul is back. We will indeed. Uh, that's right. You're going. Are you going to Chicago? I'm assuming. I, yes. I am. I leave tonight at uh, five o'clock. All right. Well, enjoy the trip and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions as well. For Rick Brewery, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poker edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.